Would you make different decisions about the weather and how you react to it if you were paid to do so? Welcome to What Is It About the Weather, a podcast where we explore the many ways that weather intertwines itself into our lives. I'm your host, Mark Jelanek. This week, we're going to be talking about weather incentives, if you will. But before I get there, as always, I hope you're having an enjoyable weather moment right now or recently or lots of them, maybe. I had a few this past weekend. I've been out and about and had some weather I don't get often. We, uh, we had some grapple. Some people call it soft hail. But it was, I like to also call it like styrofoam snow, if you will. I put a picture on Twitter, actually, with that. I had like a, a, it was funny, I had a white shirt on, like a long sleeve shirt. It was out and about. I was doing some neat things, actually. It was in western Pennsylvania here, not too far away from me. And there's a couple of homes designed by Frank Lloyd Wright. Many of you may know who he is. Some of you may not. He's this kind of a well-known architect. Uh, hasn't, I think he died in the late 1950s, but had a very long career in, in a lot of very influential buildings, but kind of in that craftsman style. It's not the only thing that he worked in, but a lot of different influences. And that you know was one of the things I learned about. I went to two homes that he designed that were very close to each other on the same day. And you know, just distinctly different in, in in terms of what they looked like, which I think is kind of cool when, you know, architect's style do change over time or it evolves over time. But in any case, he's very well known. And the weather was what was, you know, particularly interesting to me. I mean, there were some certainly some neat things about the architecture. And the setting was was pretty incredible on both of them. And, you know, do, doing the tours, you learn a little bit more about that. But Grapple is, it's interesting in that, like I said, I posted this picture. It, if you looked at it, you would almost think, well, you know, you need one of those sweater shaver things, you know, where you cut the excess uh, thread off the, off, you know, piece of clothing or whatever. I'm guessing they still sell those things. Those were a big thing for a while. And I know you think to yourself, actually, if you're cutting the threads, you're reducing the fabric. Yes, that's true. But in some time, you know, fabric's going to wear out anyways, and it just tries to make it look nicer. But the grapple made it look like it was pilling. I, you know, another way to think about it, if you have anything that's made of heavy in polyester and you get kind of that pilling effect, the fabric almost looked like that because the snow was sticking to the outside. And it, it did. Like I said, it reminds, if you're looking for a visual and you don't look at the picture, it's a lot like the styrofoam pellets in a bean bag or something like that, that... You can't get, you know, they attach to your clothing, and that's what the snow kind of does. But how it forms is a little different, and what it feels like is a little different. So I was dealing with some late-season snow, and it was above freezing, but more or less, it's a combination, if you will, of an ice pellet and a snowflake. I mean, that's the simple answer. And it even kind of feels that way if you, if you kind of smush it when you have one in your hand, you kind of get that mixed texture of, of a hard piece along with kind of a, a soft outer layer. In any case, it was kind of neat. Not something I get get often. Well, like I said, it was a nice addition to the tour. And what was really wild about that day, and actually the couple of days, so I had snow kind of on and off for about two or three days. 
and it was just sort of, you know, one minute it would be sunny and then the next minute it was, you know, groppler or real snow. It didn't really matter which, depending on which day, but it was a lot of back and forth. And part of it was, it was sort of a, a lake effect snow. Now you guys have heard me talk about that before, but more or less you get these bands that set up and those bands can fluctuate or move or shift in intensity depending on the winds. But I was reminded that two more things I really like about snow that probably haven't mentioned before as much as I've talked about snow is one is I like how it makes winter not appear so dead and dark, right? So that white component makes everything just look a little fresher. But it does so in a way that maybe makes things not look as as grim or as dire. It adds kind of a, like I said you know before, a freshness to it, but it just... It takes that edge off of, of all the dead vegetation, it, particularly if you're in an area where, you know, plants aren't evergreen sort of thing. But the other thing that I found particularly useful was the wind. It's a very great display of how fast the wind is moving and where it's moving. So I was dealing with driving in some scenarios where winds were coming across the road and it was pretty strong and I could see it ahead by the way the snow was behaving. So it was a nice visual representation, real time right in front of me. Another thing I came across this week was a story. I'll put a link in the show notes about Saharan dust. Now, you've heard me mention this dust cloud that comes off the coast of Africa from the desert. And usually it has an influence on tropical cyclones. Well, what was going on is it was being steered into Europe. And there's some incredible pictures. I mean, basically, you know, people in Europe were dealing almost with like a sandstorm. It might not be something they're used to. So it was turning more to the north and then back towards the east versus being something that flowed towards the west. And it's just wild. It was turning, again, kind of ski resorts into these orange-looking things and, you know, just creating uh, the scenes that you wouldn't normally expect. So you can take a look at that story if it's something that interests you. But let's get back to the main idea of what I wanted to talk about today, which is incentives and particularly the role and connection to weather and our lives, if you will. So was recently watching a documentary called Freakonomics, and it's kind of loosely based on a book that was done a little over 10 years ago. Now, I've never read the book. I've, you know, I've seen it referenced in a few places and brought up here and there. But the idea about the book was how incentives and different things come into economics, right? In the, in the idea of economics. Now, there've been a lot of questions about whether it's really an economics book versus a sociology experiment and all those things. I'm not going to get into that today, but the, the premise really was talking about how we're incented. Okay. And they gave the, the thing I was watching gave a uh, some different, it was like little short stories, if you will. But what they started out with was the classic example of a real estate agent and why a real estate agent would be motivated for you to take an offer right away, even if it might not be the best offer you're going to get just by how they get paid and how much little more they're likely to get unless, you know, someone's going to double the price, if you will. And that's not surprising, right? I mean, you know, you look at a lot of things and you always have to imagine how the incentive that people are being motivated with matches up to 
I guess, the behavior you're trying to change? Because a lot of times you think about incentives with certain salespeople or, or people that are paid on commission. And having been in that world before, you know, you would see times when a company might do certain incentives to maybe try to trigger behavior around a specific offering, right? And, you know, maybe they're trying to push that. It's, it's at a hot time, right? It's a hot topic and they, they want to sell that expertise or they want to sell that specific product, whatever it might be. So that's not unusual, but they really got into the incentives, for instance, about paying kids in high school. Uh, I, I think it was, the setting was in Chicago about trying to help kids in, um, you know, maybe in income ranges that where a financial incentive would could could be a big deal and it followed you know a couple different kids and how you know all of them at first thing oh yeah you know if i get paid every month to make my grades better sure that's that's a win but it you know you go through and you follow this and one kid it really turned out to be i mean he took it to heart and ran with it and it and it worked out for him right and another one you know it was like oh yeah that'll be cool but yeah the kid kind of lost interest in it. And, it. and it gets to this idea that we all respond to incentives, but which incentive is going to work for each one of us is going to be very, potentially very different. And I'll get back to the same thing in sales. One of the things that I found interesting in being in kind of business development in the sales world was I always enjoyed helping people solve problems right? And that doesn't necessarily come with the financial component to it, but it was one of the rewards, if you will. Yeah, certainly if you're in sales or in business development, it's always nice to have commissions or, or being paid or compensated in a way when you achieve those things, but that might not be your primary motivation, right? And it's, it, you know, for example, why do I do this podcast? I mean, it's not, I'm, I'm not making a living at it. And we've talked about that before, right? I, I like to interact and share what I know or, and sometimes it's just about my own growth, right? I mean, I mean, there's a piece of it that's that component as well, but we all have them for different aspects of our lives. You know, sometimes it can be as fundamental as life preservation. We do things to make sure that we're safe or, or alive or whatever it might be, but sometimes it's about improving our financial position, but it can be about advancing our career or how our relationships are. And so the incentives are going to change, right? Depending on which one it is. And I came across a very interesting case. It wasn't something that I had planned to do. So I'd mentioned we, you know, it's doing these kind of architectural tour, but, but also, you know, we, we decided to go to, uh, a historical site that we drove past that didn't know it was going to be there. And so we came back a different day because we were staying near the area. And it was about a flood that took place over a hundred years ago in a town called Johnstown, Pennsylvania. You know, not going to stand out by name, but it was this devastating flood killed over a couple thousand people that they know of potentially even more than that. But what was interesting about it was understanding a little bit more about what caused it and the incentives around the failure point and how that impacts other situations that are similar. So more or less, the Johnstown flood happened because there was this big rain event. Think of it as the equivalent of an inland, you know, tropical cyclone, if you will, because it was, it was a big rain event, right? Not a common thing. Can happen. Doesn't happen on a regular basis, but there was enough rain 
that compromised a dam. The dam collapsed, and it you know just decimated this valley. Now, Johnstown just happened to be the biggest town, if you will, that was in the you know fallout zone. So there were other little smaller communities that were also impacted. But it more or less destroyed this town. And it was big enough at that time. I mean, there, there are pictures of it. There's also illustrations of it. And it's, you know, and if you hear the stories, there's even a documentary about it that I've seen. Um, and you could probably find it on, you know, some service. I think I saw it on Amazon Prime. But, you know, there were a couple ways to watch it for free if, if it's a topic that interests you. And, you know, the failure point ended up being this dam. And this dam had been built originally by the, it's not a state for those that don't know. It's actually a commonwealth. It's one of the 50 states, if you will, but it's a commonwealth of Pennsylvania. And they built it as part of supplying water for a canal system. And it's interesting. It was built in the, I think, between the 1830s, 1850s, but almost shortly after it was completed, the canal system it was supported was kind of abandoned. So it really wasn't needed. So the dam was sold off to a railroad company who I think had a train that ran across it and they ended up selling it at some point to another interest. And ultimately it was owned by a club. Now what's interesting is this area is near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And at that time it was a big deal. I mean, there were big names like, like Carnegie Mellon type people that were part of this exclusive club. And it was while they owned it that the dam collapsed and their loss was they lost their leg, you know, but to the people downstream, and there was an interesting political cartoon that I took a picture of that, you know, put square blame on the dam. And the reality is things had happened with the mismanagement of the dam or lack of management, if you will, or changes to the structure that ultimately compromised the dam. Now, what I don't know, and, and I've, you know, I didn't see any write-ups about was, would the dam have failed if it was in its original state and had been maintained differently? I don't know that for sure, but clearly some of these adjustments that made it, the, the dam had been lowered to try to make it more accessible for other things. There had been some modifications that didn't allow the water to be drained properly if there was a flood event that would have allowed, certainly for high waters, but could have preserved the dam. So there's a lot of talk about that, but it is believed that the dam failed because of mismanagement and the changes that took place. And I get to this thing that if you look at who owned it at the time, right, there was no particular motivation for them to worry about the dam. Because like I said, if they lost it, yeah, they lost their lake. And yes, it would have an impact. But in the grand scheme of things, these were fairly wealthy people. And the downstream people, you know, it just, it doesn't equate the same way. But what's really interesting about this one, after the fact, this this town has flooded multiple times since then and had flooded multiple times before, and it wasn't specifically related to that dam. So we get into these things about, you know, you, you can look at that single event and go, okay, where do the motivations, where do the incentives lie for how we handle this, you know, maybe not a common weather event, but weather events that do come around, and it's proof by the town flooding more on more than one occasion, major floods, and if you look at the list of floods in this town, it's they've had some ongoing flooding issues. So you question, okay, 
well, you know, there's got to be something we do to handle part A, which is how do we make sure that things that have the potential to endanger lives are properly managed. But then you also question why do, why do people rebuild in the same area again and again and again despite the floods? And it, you know, quite often for all parties involved, it gets down to incentives. What's the incentive? Well, there's a reason that you had the town there and there's a benefit theoretically to having the town near the water or, you know, different things that use water power or, or leverage that kind of capacity, you know, transportation on water. So you see this throughout human history as we do it often again and again. And we've got these challenges, right? We as individuals make our own decisions. But then you also have this public-private thing, like the club owned the dam. And it's a lot of times like when you see corporation ownership of things, you know, most public companies, their motivations to make money for the, you know, to pay employees, et cetera, but also for the stockholders, whatever it is. And that's going to be very different than what, for instance, a government entity being in charge of something might have where their motivation might be public safety or serving the public. Now, politics always get in the mix on that. And that's why even, you know, with best laid plans in that category, that bad decisions made from shifting political parties or, uh, you know, thinking that it's not compromising when it might be and, and trying to be, you, know, you could still be public and have the public interest at, at heart, but that doesn't mean you have indefinite funds to take care of something. So there's all these things about incentives that come into play. And it was interesting. I came across a blog that talked about compensation, even about the difference between weather and climate, right? And we're talking about weather events and that specific weather events that happen that trigger things. And how that's different, this gets back to, you know, I was talking about salespeople, you, you, they were using weather and climate as this way. And I think it was a good analogy as weather was looking at tactical, you know, you, there's something you really want to do in the short term, whereas they were equating climate to you want to change a long-term behavior or understand things in a picture that's, that's different about how you want to change strategic thinking within an organization. And, and that is a good reference to how we think about the climate because it's, it's not an instantaneous thing. It is averages over time. But if you're trying to make a shift, you've got to think differently. And I think one of the classic examples I see with weather incentives has to still be in farming and agriculture about, you know, when do you harvest? Is, is, the, is the freeze coming? Or, you know, when do you plant to maximize the you know, crop output for the year and all those things. But those in, individuals who work in that space are kind of attuned to that. They're for, for different periods of time, they're very attuned to it. But they have a product both in its creation and in its harvesting, but also at points in between that are very sensitive to in, can be individual weather events or a season, if you will. But the rest of us don't necessarily see it that way all the time. And maybe we should, because we do think about it with life and death, and we've talked about this before. And I even did an episode a while back. I'll put a link in the show notes if you're new to the show or new to listening. You can catch the old episode about your weather equation, because I've talked about the idea that we don't always have to think about how weather impacts us in a financial regard, but maybe sometimes it is good to look at what drives us, right, what what types of incentives we like as individuals, or if we work in a corporate environment where you have the opportunity to do that, how those incentives might play out. 
to make sure that whether when we need to react to it or want to react to it, it doesn't always have to be the life and death. It's like, you know, you know me. I mean, I like weather. So the incentive is, oh, cool, weather's happening. Grapple this, you know, with this event. I, you know, I'm like, I'm, I lose sight of what I'm there doing. I'm, I'm hung up on the, on the weather event, right? But maybe if we make weather more personal, but in a way that is encouraging, and, and again, those motivations can be preservation, but it can also be reward. You know, it's like saving for a rainy day. But do we really do that? I, I'm curious. I, I'd like to hear from you. I mean, I know I do. I do a lot of those things. But have you ever really thought about it? Do you think about weather when you think about how to create incentives to do things, maybe not to procrastinate, you know, so you reward yourself if you get this thing done that you'll, the weekend's supposed to be nice. So by getting it done one night during the week, something that you might've put off the weekend, you're going to take advantage of that. Maybe we should, maybe we should figure out better ways to, to use the weather to motivate us in a positive way, instead of focusing on just avoiding the negative outcomes. I don't know. Let me know. Let me know your thoughts. What is about the weather at gmail.com? You can also find me on Twitter, Mark underscore Jelonic, or what is about the weather on Twitter. And for those that want to uh, incentivize the podcast to continue, patreon.com slash weather. As always, thank you to those that do support the podcast. But if you're interested, you can learn more there. But just remember the next time, <laughs> the next time you see weather and you see cash. Sometimes I think we still need cash so that we're reminded of that. Think about it. Think about what connections you can make that make life more fun, more interesting, more motivating. But lest we never forget, there's much more to weather than the weather itself.